Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, life coach and certified grief recovery specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 25, Circumstances Do Not Define You. It's good to be back with you again this week on a Wednesday morning. I am getting super excited about the sun coming out. It's getting warm and everyone's starting to leave on spring break. And I'm just, I, I love the sun. So I'm getting super excited about that. Um, but I wanted to jump right into our episode today. And that is to tell you a story. Um, a couple of years after the kids died, because of an assignment that I had from my church, I was going to be doing some work with someone, someone I hadn't met before. And we had a mutual friend that was going to introduce us. And just before that introduction, my friend told me that the lady I was going to meet, we'll just call her Mary, was very compassionate, that she had told Mary about my situation, that my two youngest children had died in a car accident. I think it had been less than two years before. And I panicked. I did not want that information to go ahead of this meeting. I felt awkward and I I didn't want to be the mother whose children had died. I mean, I didn't want that to be my whole identity. And I wanted to come into this, into this meeting with Mary on equal ground. And I felt like that information kind of changed the, the feel of the whole meeting. And, and I think a lot of it had to do was I was unsure of who I was at that point. My world had been turned upside down and I didn't know how to assimilate all the changes into my into my life, into my day-to-day life, into who I was. I, I had a sense that I was more than the accident and that I was more than just the mother who had lost children, but that had kind of become my whole reality. But I knew that I was more than all the circumstances in life, but I was still hovering in this weird space of not knowing who I was and not being sure how this was going to look the rest of my life. Since then, I've learned even more profoundly that no matter what the circumstances of our life, we are more than that. We are better defined by our attributes. The attributes that we possess and the attributes that we're trying to develop, those define us more than what's happened to us. Although I do think our circumstances can shape our attributes and the things that we learn. I, I was listening to a podcast today. It's actually called the Ziegler show. It's a podcast with a host, um, Kevin Miller. And in the description, it's, it's basically a podcast in the spirit of Zig Ziglar. According to his description, he does interviews with influences, influencers to determine what brought them from zero to hero. But he was interviewing Richie Norton, and I, I really enjoy following Richie Norton. He's the author of The Power of Doing Sup- Something Stupid. He and his wife authored that book. And it's a book for entrepreneurs that I read a few years ago. But I, I just love his spirit. And one of the things that Kevin in the show asked Richie was about what habits or what things that he does to strengthen himself mentally. 
And I loved Richie's answer in this podcast. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go through and I'm going to kind of tell you what he said, but you can, you can go back and listen to it. They talked about other things like finances and, and relationships and so forth. But I, I really latched on to what he said about strengthening himself mentally. The first thing he mentioned was music. And I loved that answer. I might do a whole podcast about music because I think music can really influence us. It's, there's a lot of energy in music, so it can influence us for the good or bad. And I've used it for, I've used it to listen to sad things when I'm feeling sad and I want to be able to get all those emotions out. And I've used it when I have something I need to do and I need some lively music to get me going. So I love that answer uh, about music. The other thing that he said, which was, was really important is he's had a lot of losses. He and his wife, his wife died, his wife's brother died a few years ago. And then shortly after that, they, their baby boy died and they had fostered three children and they had tried to adopt those three children and the adoption was um, failed. And they, then his wife had uh, a stroke and she went through, she was young and then she went through the difficulty of coming back from a stroke. And then their son was hit by a car. So there were a lot, a lot of things. And he was talking about how when things, when things are hard, how easy it is for everything to kind of spiral down. But he read something in a grief pamphlet that kind of stuck with him. And that was that it's a tunnel, not a cave. It's a tunnel, not a cave. So as we're walking through, there is another side to it. And it's okay to feel bad. These are all things that he said he learned in this, this time when things were really hard, that it's okay to feel bad. And it's about moving moving forward, not necessarily moving on. And he, and he also, this is something we've talked a lot about here, but I think it was, it was important for him to say this. He said, punishing yourself for feeling bad or feeling good is not good. That when bad things have happened, we, we punish ourselves for feeling bad. And then we punish ourselves for feeling good when bad things have happened. So he, he learned to acknowledge his feelings that life is a little bit of a roller coaster and to not let a bad moment become a bad day, a bad day to become a bad week and so forth. You know, not allow a bad year to become a bad life. And I, I just loved what he had to say there. So it, it's an interview you might want to listen to. So how do we keep from becoming the victims of our circumstances? And you've probably heard this before, but recognizing the, the space between the stimulus and the response, that there's a choice and it's hard to recognize that choice sometimes. So we're going to, we're going to examine that a little bit. This, the stimulus, what what stimulates a response is a situation or circumstances. It's what we think about what happened that creates the feelings and then the response. So sometimes we think there is no choice. Let's just look at a, a situation. So let's say that someone yells at you at work and you might think you have no choice, but to think that it's horrible and that you're justified in and justified in thinking it's horrible and that therefore you're justified in saying or even maybe even yelling something back. 
these things happen. And we even find ourselves saying we had no choice, that they deserved it. This was a bad situation. This is what we do. We go around telling our story about how horrible this person is or how much we dislike them, how annoying or frustrating they are, how angry it makes us feel. I found myself telling stories like that this past week about past circumstances, things that happened in the past, like not even last week, things that happened a couple, two, three, four, or five years ago, and how someone behaved badly, and therefore, you know, I had all these feelings about it. And there's just no good that comes from these stories we tell ourselves. There's no, there's no good that comes from continuously telling these negative stories. But how many times do we hear ourselves doing that? And what's really happening? We're giving all the power to that person, to that person that we're frustrated with, to the person that we're angry with. We feel we are completely at the effect of how someone else acts. And it takes all of our power away. Like we have no options. And this is basically what children do. They say, he hit me, so I had to bite him. So we're essentially justifying our symbolic hitting and biting when we think that the other person deserves our anger, deserves our wrath. We're blaming the other person for all of our negative thoughts and feelings and for our actions. If you could think of anyone, if you think of anyone in the world that you would want to have power over how you feel, how you act, what you do, who would it be? When I think about that, I know for a fact that it's not the person that I'm complaining about. But in fact, that is who I'm giving my power to. So what do we do about it? Let's let's talk about the space between stimulus and response. What lies in that space? We hear about it and we we often hear the thing about like count to 10 in your head or or out loud. <laughs> but you know, count, count to 10 that creates that space. But really what's going on in that space? What's going on in that space is our thoughts and feelings. Our feelings are what drive our actions. We do things because we feel a certain way. We feel angry, so we lash out. We feel happy, so we skip. We feel love, so we express our love. So our feelings are what really creates, causes us to act in a certain way. And it's our thoughts about what's happening that creates our feelings. If I think they are a horrible person, they're making my life miserable, how do I feel? I feel frustrated, I feel angry. And then what happens? How do I behave when I feel that way? I behave angrily. I behave badly. Many times the situation is likely not to change. If you've got a coworker that's habitually rude or unkind, that situation isn't going to change. We can't manipulate everyone around us. That just, all that does is make us tired trying to figure out how we can show up so that they're manipulated into showing up the way we want them to show up. So it's just not, it's not realistic. We need to let go of the expectations that we can make all of our situations change. They're just not going to change. So what needs to change is our thoughts about the situation. When someone has said or done something that is unkind, we can choose to answer in the same way and just automatically go into the thoughts about how horrible they are, how frustrating they are, how frustrated you are having to deal with them. 
or we can choose a thought that's going to create a different feeling for us. One of my go-to phrases that helps me neutralize a situation is adding, and that's okay. It's not always easy to add, and that's okay. And I get that. I totally get that. It does take practice, but you might want to try it on and see what you think. For example, he wasn't nice, and that's okay. It just kind of neutralizes what's happened. One feeling that I really like to choose is compassion. And some of the thoughts that I pick when I want to feel compassion for someone who I perceive has been mean or rude or unkind, these are some of the thoughts that I, that I pick. That is, it must be really hard to be him. He must have had a really hard day or a really hard week or a really hard life to act that way. I wonder what's going on in his life that he acts that way. We develop emotional maturity when we recognize that it's not the situation that causes our feelings and action, it's our thoughts. And then we can adapt our thoughts to respond in a way that we want to, in the way that we want to show up. I don't think we want to show up angrily lashing out, mirroring the poor behavior of others. And that's a lot of times what happens when we're in default mode. When we're in default mode, we just mirror back what's coming at us. Something comes at us and we react and we just mirror it back. And I know that's not the way I want to show up. I don't think that's the way anybody really wants to show up, but it's hard. It's sometimes it's just really hard. And another thing I really, I really want to do is to eliminate the negative stories I tell. I know that, I know that what we put energy into expands, what we focus on expands and And when I think about the stories that I tell with passion, the ones that I get really riled up about, it's usually those stories when somebody has done something that I perceive as really mean or really irresponsible. And then we get all, you know, I get all riled up and about it. And that's, that becomes what I'm putting my energy into. And I know that that's not, that's not good, that I want to put my energy into the good things. But the magic truly is in that space between the stimulus and the reaction. And now we know what's in between, what's in that space. We know that we, that in between that space is our thoughts and our feelings. And sometimes what happens in our response is so close together. We don't even recognize that it's a thought and a feeling that preceded it. But now that we know that that's what's happening in between, we can start, we can start to train our mind to notice the space and really start with the easy things. Don't start with the things that are really, really triggering. If there's something that your husband does or your coworker does or a friend does that just really upsets you, that might not be the first thing to approach. But as we approach the simpler things, it's just like, when you were in school, you didn't learn algebra first. You started learning numbers. And so we want to do the same thing. We want to start simple and start. So start with the way you respond and notice strangers, like people at the store or at church or the cashier at the checkout. Notice how you're responding to them. What are you noticing? What are, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Feelings are a great indicator of what we're thinking. 
So if you're in a store or you're talking to a cashier and you feel friendly to the cashier, then you're thinking friendly thoughts. If you're feeling aggravated with the cashier, then you're thinking aggravating thoughts. But it's easier with these people that, you know, aren't in our day to day to start noticing our feelings and noticing what those thoughts are that are creating those feelings. Then we can move on to acquaintances and then friends. And then we start to notice the situations and the reactions with the people that are closest to us. It does get easier. I promise you it gets easier as we start to notice what, what we're feeling. And then we start to examine what thoughts are coming before that feeling. At the beginning, I told you about being introduced to someone before I even met them, that I was introduced to them as the mother whose children died. If that had happened today, I wouldn't react the way I did then because I have a different, I have different thoughts about it because I know that even though it is part of my story, it is part of my life. It doesn't define me as a person. And because I have different thoughts about it, I feel differently about it and I show up differently. So as you go through this week, really notice your feelings and start thinking about what thoughts are preceding those feelings and how those thoughts and feelings are affecting how you're behaving. I think it's really fascinating. And it, it, when we have the knowledge of what's causing things, then it just makes it so much easier to get into this space where we're in a better place, where we're able to create more happiness and more positive feelings around us. We have a a new Facebook group. It's called Build a Life After Loss, Loss of a Child, and it's specifically for mothers who have lost children. And I would love for you to join us there. We also have a page, Build a Life After Loss, and that's open for anyone. But the group is a closed group, so we'd love for you to join us there. Also visit the website, Build a Life After Loss, and there we have a free download for you. And that gives you three practices that can help you to start feeling better. It's really super valuable. So I hope you'll go there and and download that. As always, it's so great to be with you, and I hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, I believe in you.